This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me for this 2016 federal election special. And today I've got Liberal Democrat Senator for New South Wales, David Lionhelm, join me on the show to answer your Facebook questions. Now, it's been a bit of a whirlwind ride for the last two years for Liberal Democrat Senator David Lionhelm. In 2015, we saw the seven-shot Adler ban, and thankfully, due to David's advocacy, we were able to put a sunset clause on that particular ban. So sometime in, I think, August of 2016, after the NFA review, we will see a lifting of the seven-shot Adler ban. Now, a lot of people out there do think that we wouldn't have the five-shot Adler if it wasn't for David Lionhelm and the awesome work of shooters in writing into their police ministers, making appointments with their local members. So the hard work of David and the shooters of, of, of Australia... Uh, in getting that firearm. Now, there's many, many of these firearms across the country in the hands of law-abiding firearms owners, uh, and they're really enjoying them. You've only got to go on Facebook to see the awesome fun people are having while they're hunting, you know, shooting clay targets or whatever it may be with their Adela. They're having a great time. And uh, one of the most important things, I spoke to David uh, at the SSAA Shot Expo in Sydney in 2013, and he said during his tenure, uh, as a senator, well, the major thing he wanted to do was make sure he secured the tenure for Malabar Rifle Range and Malabar Headland. Uh, as of May 5th, 2016, just a few days ago, David had a massive win by winning uh, a 50-year tenure and securing that tenure at Malabar Rifle Range. So yourself and your family well into the future will be able to go to Malabar Rifle Range and enjoy your shooting activities. This is a huge win for shooters across the country. Uh, it's a huge win for shooters that will be able to come here and use excellent facilities and that it's now guaranteed to stay under the shooting sports for the next 50 years is absolutely fantastic. I also know that David has written many articles for the Australian Financial Review, Sydney Morning Herald and the Daily Telegraph. Often he's asked to write articles and they're printed in their entirety, a lot of them about gun rights, about Port Arthur, and many other issues surrounding law abiding firearms ownership here in Australia. Uh, again, it goes, I don't tell you who to vote for. That's up to you to get disseminate the information, what you'll hear today from David, and decide whether David has done enough to get your vote in federal politics. The only thing I worry about is people like, under the double disillusion election, that people like David and Ricky Muir, our pro-gun voices in the Senate, will may potentially lose their positions and someone like Darren Hinch, who's anti-gun, will take over. In my opinion, shooters can't let that happen. So please make sure when you're voting, you're voting for your pro-gun people, either your senators currently in Parliament, and you're also marking that voting form correctly so you, everyone you're putting down is someone of pro-gun that is going to advocate for your rights. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show with David. Uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting couple of months to see what happens with the 2016 federal election. And uh, we'll see, I guess, after if David and Ricky are able to retain their seats. Let's hope they do, and let's hope they can continue with the advocacy for law-abiding firearms owners. So without further ado, let's get into my interview with Liberal Democrat Senator for New South Wales, David Lionhelm. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. 
Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. David Leinholm, welcome again to the Australian Hunting Podcast. I think we uh, interviewed for episode 45. I think we're up to 112 now, so glad to have you back on with us. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Um, I want to talk about, I guess, let's go back to if people haven't heard of episode 45, they haven't listened to your first interview, and if they can, they can go back. Tell us about yourself. Give us a bit of history about David Leinholm for, I guess, people that don't know who you are. Uh, Okay. I'm 64 years old. Um, I've been a... I was a farm boy. I've been a shooter all my life. Um, I, uh, I used to shoot rabbits when I was a kid. Um, I now shoot mainly uh, F-class full ball rifles, so occasionally pistols. Um, I've, I've tried most, most types of shooting. Um, I was elected to the Senate in uh, 2013, at the election in 2013, sworn in in July 2014. So coming up to two years. And... Um, before that, I've had uh, a consulting market research agribusiness company for about 25 years. Um, prior to that, I worked for animal health pharmaceutical companies, and prior to that, I was a veterinarian. Nice, mate. Tell us about um, what the LDP stands for. What's their core philosophies, if people don't know about the LDP? Yes, the Liberal Democratic Party, the Liberal Democrats, as it will appear on the ballot paper, is uh, based on uh, well, libertarian philosophy, if you are American, um, classical liberal principles if you are European or English. They all revolve around the idea that the government should be kept small, uh, we should have reduced uh, less regulation, lower taxes, uh, less interference in our lives by the government. Also, that the individual is far more important than the group and um, and that uh, uh, basically the government's got no role interfering in our lives unless we are hurting somebody else yep yep very good mate let's talk about i can tell you what i've been following you for quite some time obviously you know we episode before that we that we that i interviewed you you've been in parliament what tell i'm just a bit over two years possibly maybe a bit longer i guess um just under two years. Just actually. under two years. Yeah. How's it been? How do you think working with the crossbenchers? You've got Lambie, Day, you've got uh, uh, Lazarus, I think, too. You've got D.O. Wang. You've got... Uh, how's it been so far? Very interesting by the looks of what's been in the media. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, at times, it's fascinating. Um, it, it is important work. Um, and you can actually, if you go about it the right way, make a difference. I don't pretend that it's fun, though. It's... Uh, it's quite long hours. Um, you, a lot of people out there hate you. You get a free character assessment, uh, you know, every day or every second day. So, you know, it, it's it's pretty full on. The media is not all that uh, um, much fun dealing with uh, TV and radio interviews and press interviews day after day after day. And very rare for a day to go by when I haven't got three or four interviews. So it's pretty relentless pace. And in fact, I've come to the realisation that it's when I'm in Australia, it's 24/7. If I want to have a holiday, I have to go overseas, get away from it. But it, it's uh, it's never boring, it's never dull, um, uh, and uh, it is you know the opportunity to actually make a difference and and uh, make things better is there. But I don't think you'd ever call it fun. 
What do you think about the uh, double disillusion? I know that's been on the on the agenda. The government, I guess, uh, uh, Malcolm Turnbull wants to have a double disillusion. What's the chances of that? And and just to clarify for people that uh, don't know what, if it does happen, what percentage of the uh, vote again do you have to get to make sure you're successful? Was it two point five percent? No, am I somewhere around there? A little bit higher. What a, a double dissolution means that instead of voting for the House of Representatives and half the Senate, the upper house, we would we would be electing the House of Representatives plus the entire Senate. Normally, only half the Senate is elected at each election because each senator is elected for six years. A double dissolution means they dissolve both houses of Parliament completely and so a whole new Senate is elected. The chances are that a vast majority of the senators will be returned, of course, so we're not talking about a whole new lot of senators. What are the chances? Um, I think very high. The government has basically told the crossbench, if you don't vote for the ABCC bill, we will call a double dissolution. It does appear as if they don't. Have, the government doesn't have the numbers of the crossbench um, and therefore a double dissolution seems to be its only way out. The only consideration I think that might change that is the opinion polls are suggesting that the government might not win the election. Now, so the question then is whether Malcolm Turnbull would call an election if he thinks that he might not win. I am not too sure what the answer to that is. <laughs> yeah, so when I watch the media, I really don't envy your position sometimes, having to deal with all these people. And Well, I don't think my support for shooters' rights has done me any harm. I do get told quite regularly I don't like the fact that you're speak up about guns. I don't like your policy on guns. They think, um, some people think I have a policy of uh, supporting everyone's right to have a gun irrespective of uh, who they are, which of course is not the case. They also think that um, I'm arguing for absolutely no restrictions on guns, which of course is also not the case. So th these are straw arguments and I, they're made uh, by people who would never vote for us anyway. So I don't think we're losing any votes over it. We do get people say, well, I agree with you on a couple of things, but I can't agree with you on a couple. And, and uh, then you say, well, what are those? And, and quite often guns come up. But I don't believe there's, that we're losing votes over it. On the other hand, um, shooters are, are very passionate about their sport or their, uh, their recreation, and they will vote for a party that is strongly in favour of shooters' rights. We know that from Australia. We also know that in uh, the United States. So there are votes to be won for those that are pro-shooting, but I don't think there are any votes to be lost from those who uh, don't like guns. Interesting. Very good. Absolutely. Because I noticed, yeah, I don't think it's done you any any disservice. I mean, they're still calling you to come on programs. You know, Sky News, I think I see you on a fair bit. Uh, you know, so a lot of parties where if you had these policies, we'd be classified as, you know, right wing or fringe or whatever it may be. And, you know, there seems you keep getting the calls to be on the television. So I guess that's good to get the name out about the LDP. Yes, I, I think uh, the fact that I'm in Sydney, the fact that I am uh, able to answer questions, um, argue a consistent point of view, and, and not just rant, I suppose, like a certain Tasmania from uh, a certain senator from Tasmania tends to do, um, is is in my favour. There, there are quite a lot of people in the media who don't like my attitude on guns, but on the other hand, they agree with me on other things. So when I start talking about low taxes, some agree with me. When I start talking about same-sex marriage, they agree with me. Or um, uh, legalising marijuana or uh, you know, all sort of nanny state stuff, 
um, they often find that they are in agreement with me on one thing, but they're not in agreement with me on another. In fact, that in many ways encapsulates the problem I have, my, my broad challenge, and that is to get people to see that uh, freedom is freedom. Liberty, the rights of one are equivalent to the rights of another. And it's not legitimate for you to say, well, I should be left alone, I should be free to do what I like, but it's okay for the government to go uh, encroaching on the rights of other people. It, if you really do have to join the dots sooner or later. You have to realise that, well, I, I don't have to approve, endorse or recommend what other people do, but if they're not hurting anybody else, it is really is not my business and it's not the government's business and to leave people alone unless they are hurting somebody else. Absolutely. That's a, that's a, that's a principle that I'm doing my absolute best to get across and obviously, I've got a very long way to go before it's uh, widely accepted. <laughs> True. Um, I want to talk about, because uh, I want to get one question. The SBS, you probably, I'm not sure if you did watch it, the SBS Insight Program. Now, someone said, I've got a couple of questions, I guess, within this question, that you, you were approached about being on the SBS Insight Program, because um, was that true? And if not, why didn't we go on there? What was the story with that? Uh, yes, I was approached uh, several times by SBS to come on. We could, I couldn't see how there was any positive to be gained um, from going on there. It was fairly clearly going to be an emotional uh, argument with uh, Port Arthur uh, victims there, John Howard there. Um, I, it, it doesn't help to be characterised as the villain in a situation like that. I think the shooters who, who did appear on there uh, did a fine job, but they were cast as the villains um, in in the context of that program, and and really, you know, what what purpose would be served by being there? As it happens, I did get a mention anyway. Yeah, you and, did actually. You did. You're right. You did in the, in the context of the the Adler shotgun. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, if you <clears throat> if you're a politician and you want recognition, I got it, and I didn't have to go there <laughs> and, and put up with all the nonsense that the the other guys had to put up with. What about the, I want to go on to, before we go into Adler stuff and stuff like that, discuss the new voting reforms, how it will affect minor parties in the future and the new system, how it will work, and is it going to benefit minor parties or are we sort of up the creek without a paddle? It's not certainly not going to benefit minor parties. What it will mean is you have to get a much higher primary vote to get elected because there won't be any opportunity for the minor parties to preference each other via the group voting tickets which that we used to lodge. So the only way preferences now can be allocated is if the voter votes for a minor party and then also allocates their preferences um, ab- above the line or below the line in a way that they that they think is appropriate and that so somebody p- votes for your another minor party and then says well I'll put this, the Liberal Democratic Party for example second and then another party third and fourth and fifth and, and you know, you benefit from it that way. Yep. The, real, the reality is an awful lot of voters will just go one above the line and they won't go allocating their preferences at all. Now, uh, and we know that because that's, that's exactly what happens in the New South Wales Legislative Council voting in state elections. Um, you can allocate preferences above the line if you want to, but the vast majority of people don't do that. They just put one above the line. Now, in the last election in 2013, nearly a quarter of all voters in the, voting in the Senate voted for a minor party, that is a party other than Liberal, Labor and the Greens. Now, um, unless voters do use their preferences fully um, in the new system, 
their vote will exhaust unless unless the party that they prefer or one of the parties they prefer is a party capable of getting elected and, and their preferences go to that, their vote will exhaust. It will become null. And uh, so therefore their vote really effectively won't be counted. Now, that's bad news. And in practical terms, what it means is that a new party trying to get established, so say it's an, a party with a particular issue and it has some popular support and it gets registered and all that sort of thing and it runs in the election, in a normal half-Senate election, Unless it can get up to about eight to ten percent of the vote, it's not not in the race. It's not going to get anywhere. Really? In a in a double dissolution election, it's nowhere near as bad. It could be somewhere between three and a half and five and a half percent of the vote. They uh, that would be enough to get elected. So you can see that for the Liberal Democrats, we're already in the Senate. We're getting a reputation. We're starting to become known. It's no not at all out of the question that we could get to at least three and a half to five and a half percent of the vote and win a seat in a double dissolution it's it's entirely doable i got nine and a half percent of the vote for example in 2013 in new south wales although we didn't do we did not do as well as that in the other states in which we ran we got about three and a half percent i think um now but for another party which doesn't already have a profile and I, I would include, for example, possibly the Shooters and Fishers Party or any, any other pro-gun party that doesn't already have someone in Parliament, it would be very, very difficult for them to get to that threshold, especially in a half-Senate election, of 8 to 10%. Really very, very difficult. And it, effectively, it's going to become a bit of a closed shop for any party. Only, you're only going to get into the Senate if you're an existing party with a profile already or, and this is what makes it even worse, if you have somebody like Clive Palmer with 20 million bucks to spend yeah. on your on your campaign and he can convince you that um that you know you're a serious player and and enough people will vote for you and so it really it's ruling out everyone except the um established parties unless you are extremely well funded it's that time of year again and Huntfest is just around the corner Huntfest is Naruma's premier hunting exhibition on the New South Wales South Coast. Huntfest is on this June long weekend, so don't miss out by getting your tickets early. If you want to be an exhibitor at Huntfest, then call Danfield on 02 4473 7035. Visit huntfest.com.au for more information. Huntfest, the place to be in 2016. Do you have dull, blunt or badly sharpened knives that couldn't skin a cat? At Scary Sharp, we use a multi-step grinding system and will hand sharpen your blades to a precise edge. Our process of sharpening knives will have your blades splitting hairs for a surprisingly low cost. Not only do we sharpen knives, but we also sharpen scissors, clippers, garden tools, arrowheads, axes or anything that holds an edge. We are located close to Canberra and we also have a mail-in service. Visit Scary Sharp on Facebook or call Bob on 0410 432 852 and find out how we can meet your sharpening needs. Scary Sharp. If it cuts, we can sharpen it. Yeah, I, I did. I did have a chuckle. I think you you did too. Um, it was you were interview, being interviewed by Christina Keneally, I think, and she was talking about this sort of stuff. And she says, "Oh, you only got half a percent of the vote." And then I think you said, "No, we got closer to ten percent." She went, oh, "Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry." <laughs> I did have a good chuckle about that when when she said a half a percent. I said, 
Did she yeah. do her homework? She must have had the wrong form, obviously. Yeah, she must have been looking at the wrong... Uh, the wrong. Christina Keneally is actually a very nice person and uh, she's really quite smart, former Premier of New South Wales, of course. So, um, yeah, she doesn't usually get her stuff wrong. But there is, this does illustrate a bit of an issue with, that we are facing and that is the perception that the crossbench is going to get wiped out in a double dissolution and we're all just on borrowed time. Um, and, you know, people don't know, just simply don't know the facts. So I'm actually um, making a point of ensuring that the media is told, um, no, we will need between three and a half and five and a half percent of the vote to, uh, to win um, in a double dissolution. That is entirely achievable. The one, the parties that will struggle the most will be Ricky Muir's party, motoring enthusiasts, because yep. he started off on, on half a percent. My feeling is that uh, the Palm United parties uh, lost an awful lot of support and they will struggle to hold the vote that they got last time. Um, so that means probably Dao Wang in Western Australia will be in, in some trouble. Um, as for the rest of us, uh, who knows? We, we could easily get 35 to 5.5% of the vote and that would be enough to, uh, to get us back into the Senate. So all is not lost as far as the crossbench is concerned. Yep. Um, it may be, may be changed a little bit, but I think it will still be there and it will still be holding the balance of power and the government will still be hopeless at negotiating with us. Yeah, yeah. What about what about David? What about Malcolm Turnbull in regards to guns? Is he workable? Is it good news for shooters or bad news? Um, he's neither. He's pretty neutral. Um, I don't think he feels strongly about it either way. I have discussed um, firearms with him and explained to him that there are eight hundred thousand licensed shooters in Australia. Yep. That they they are very very uh, protective of their sport and recreation and that they will vote on that issue to the exclusion of every other issue that might be relevant to them, and that really uh, he does not need to lose their vote by doing something stupid like um, um, changing the National Firearms Agreement. Yeah. Um, so, and I think he understands that. I, I think he regards the firearms issue as about a fifth-order issue, well down on his list of priorities. He's got other things to worry about, and he doesn't need to unnecessarily pick a fight. With uh, with shooters. Now, can we trust the? I just just don't like the look of this guy, Michael Keenan. He came out a week ago, David. You probably read it. Said there'll be no changes to the NFA. I mean, is this mutton dressed up as lamb? Can he be trusted? Should we not sit on our laurels? What should we do? Um, well, he had one attempt at changing the National Firearms Agreement, and, and that didn't come off. So I, I think the reality is that he was. He was a little disappointed. There are stories that he has been wondering whether or not there are other ways to uh, achieve what he wants to achieve. But I think the truth is he is being pushed by his own department. The Attorney General's Department Firearms Section um, has a very anti-gun agenda. They have had for quite a long time. And they are, they are there. I mean, they survive changes of government and changes of minister. They are always there. So if there is this anti-gun uh, lobby, if you like, within the Attorney General's Department, and they got into into uh, the Justice Minister Michael Keenan's ear and convinced him that something needed to be done. I, I don't know that you know he's all that passionate about it, but certainly there are people within his department who are very, very committed to doing it. So the bottom line is I, I don't think he will have another go at it, 
although there are rumours that he that he may be contemplating that. Um, the the danger is that uh, those people in the department are still there and they will try again, perhaps at another time with a different minister. Yep. Interesting. I did, Dave. You you really do come out with some corkers. I tell you, when you are, uh, I think it was this was the uh, inquiry into the banning of semi-automatic handguns when you were actually interviewing the Attorney General's department. Probably to date, one of the best calls I've ever heard, where you said, "Is there an element of gun control within the Attorney General's department?" Yes. I, oh, I think you made him squirm a bit. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, they're not supposed to have a a, a policy. The, the policy is supposed to come from the government, not from the department. And yet there they were voicing what amounted to a, a departmental opinion, which was had never been reflected in the government's um, policies. So I caught them out, basically. And, and uh, all, all it really did was confirm what we already knew. There is a, a core group of people within the Attorney-General's Department, firearms section, who uh, have a, a very anti-gun attitude. I know there's a lot of people out there, and no doubt shooters on this next issue played a massive part in writing to all their politicians with all the letters. I know there's a lot of people on my Facebook page uh, were just posting letters and photos of their letters in regards to the Adler issue. But how much influence did you have on the five-shot Adler being allowed uh, into the country? Because I see all these organisations, other people out there, other other pro-gun parties saying, well, you know, putting their hands up, well, it was us, and you know, it was us that did it and stuff like that. How much of a... If, if it wasn't for you with the sunset clause, would we even have the Adler five-shot right now at all? Um, well, we, we don't... The five-shot wasn't the issue of the sunset clause the seventh shot was and currently we do have a ban on its importation so it's seven shot the seven shot adler or seven shot lever action shotguns can't be imported right now that prohibition will lapse in august and that was due to me the government wanted my vote on another matter and i said well i'm not going to vote for it unless you sunset that ban on the seven shot adler it's it's um it's an unwarranted intrusion there is no you're not achieving anything it's a ridiculous uh, limitation and it's just taking slices off the salami and uh, you know it's got to stop so uh they really wanted my vote and uh i think uh, you know they secretly thought oh well we'll we'll deal with this later you know we'll outsmart him somehow but, uh, of course, the election is coming along, and in August um, it will be very difficult for them to uh, um, do anything about this, and especially if I'm re-elected, they will be very wary about doing something that's going to uh, uh, cause a fight with me. Uh, that's one issue. So the, the ban on the seven-shot Adler, was, um, that was entirely me. The other issue is to the extent to which uh, I was involved in heading off changes to the National Firearms Agreement, which which would have put uh, the five-shot Adler into Category B or C and uh, and put at risk um, pump-action rifles and that sort of thing. So again, slices off the salami. Now that was partly me and partly state organisations in each state. What happened was I found out that Cabinet was going to consider uh, this issue on the recommendation of the Justice Minister, Mr Keenan. Um, I contacted um, some key people in the Cabinet and said the states are not in agreement on this and, uh, and, advised, and advised those those ministers. So when it came up in Cabinet, Michael Keenan was asked to go confirm that the states were all in agreement with his proposal. What happened was various state organisations 
organisations went to their state ministers and said, do not agree to Mr Keenan's proposal. There's nothing, there's nothing that I did about that, about conting that, well, my office alerted everybody, this is what this is what you need to do. You need to contact your state minister and ensure that he understands what your point of view is. And they, they all did that. And and so when Mr Keenan took it back to Cabinet, um, he wasn't able to say that the states were all in agreement with him. In fact, I don't think he had very many of the states in agreement with him. So it it was a combination of me finding out what was going on and it was, and also it was the various state organisations that contacted their state minister, and and uh, sort of advised him, if you like, as to what they thought he ought to do. It wouldn't have been possible for me to have done that by myself, but at the same time, it would not have been possible for the state, all the state organisations, to have known what they needed to do at that particular time. It was an absolutely excellent example of what you get when you actually work together and you don't regard each other as competitors. Looking for a big weekend? Australia's biggest sports shooting event, the SSAA Shot Expo, is coming. Hunting gear, knives and optics from all the big names. Safety seminars and workshops by leading experts. Pest control solutions for farmers. The SSAA Shot Expo just keeps getting bigger. Rose Hill Racecourse, Sydney, June 25th and 26th. Supported by Swarovski, Winchester and ATN Night Vision. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au. Liberal Democrat Senator David Lionhelm is a committed shooter, fighting for your rights. He forced government ministers to start regular talks with shooting groups on gun laws and in just one year has saved shooters from eviction from the Malabar Rifle Range in Sydney. David also secured $3 million in funding for range improvements. Visit ldp.org.au and vote one, the Liberal Democrats. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit SSAAsydney.net. Yeah, in the short, do you think, I mean, after the... The N of two questions actually short ones I guess. Um, do you think the NFA review will be? There'll be no changes. Do you think they'll be tightened up a lot more against law-abiding firearms owners? Obviously, they're already talking. There's going to be no, you know, reductions or or quote unquote watering down. And do you think we'll get the seven shot under the category A system? Yes, I think it's fairly likely the seven shot. We already have uh, uh, tube extensions available for aftermarket modifications anyway. And uh, the state police are well aware of that. You know, the, the logic of, of five shots being safe and seven shots being dangerous is just, you know, not, not, even, uh, not even anti-gun bureaucrats can argue that. So 
Um, I, I think uh, you know they will allow it to lapse and uh, allow the regulation to lapse, and the seven shot will be will be permitted. Um, that's the most likely uh, outcome. There is a possibility that they will have another try at uh, or try to put it into category B or something like that. That is, that is not out of the question that they, that they might try that. Still available but, for the average shooter though under a category A and B system for the general that's sports right. shooters. Yep. It, it wouldn't be the end of the world. The no, only the no. reason for opposing it is because there's no justification for it. There's no reason for it. It would just be giving ground for no good reason. So I, I don't recommend giving ground because otherwise then it gives them it gives the other side of the argument to heart that they think that they can push us backwards on a regular basis. So so my feeling is that uh, we we will fight it. And I don't think that I don't think this, the sunset clause will be removed. So I think the ban on the imports of seven shots will um, seven shot adlers will um, will stand. So and as for the NFA review in general, it does look like that process might have come to a halt for now. You cannot can never relax because, as I said, there is uh, there are people within the Attorney General's department, plus in some of the states, of course, some of the state police departments, who just don't like the idea of uh, anyone other than the government owning guns, so they want to stop it. But uh, uh, you know, I, the, the hope is, of course, that we'll be able to head them off on each occasion. It helps a great deal. It would help a great deal if I were still in the Parliament because uh, uh, I can as I said, uh, work uh, to find out what's going on from my end and then I can let the states know what's going on from their end and we end up with a better result. Mm. So I always that, get a bit wary, that, David, when the, the government officials that, you know, like the, in the police unions asking for more, more you know, semi-automatic weapons for their, for their officers, yet people like me who want to defend my family and my home, you know, can't even do that. I always get worried about a government that doesn't allow me to have a firearm for self-defence, but you know, promotes more for you know government officials. Yes, I agree with you. That's a that's a different argument. I I'm, seem to be the only person pursuing the self-defence issue. Um, I'm, I raise that quite regularly because I don't think this the general public will have a lot of sympathy for us arguing for guns for uh, hunting and and uh, target shooting. I don't believe that. You know, they care, and the public will care enough about those issues to step up and support us if yep. push comes to shove. Self-defence is another matter, and it doesn't necessarily have to involve guns either. I mean, we all know that some people are just simply not safe with guns. Um, we also know that you know, if you're going to use a gun for self-defence, you ought to know how to use it properly. You can't just give one to anyone. On the other hand, a pepper spray a personal taser, a mace, a can of mace. You don't have to be particularly well trained to use that sort of thing. There are lots and lots of elderly people who feel unsafe. There are lots and lots of people who are concerned about particularly women. You know, everybody's got a mother, a lot of wives, girlfriends, partners, daughters, those sort of people who are not big and strong and can't fight off an attacker. And yet the law says they're not allowed to have anything forget about guns but anything to protect themselves uh, it's against the law to carry a knife a stick a pepper spray as i said or personal tasers are all banned and so you know we we basically saying to those that we care about who are vulnerable good luck you know there's nothing's gonna nothing's gonna save you now i think the australian public if they when they think about that issue they will say that's not good I don't care about sports shooting. I don't care about um, 
hunting goats and pigs and foxes and things like that. But I do care about my mother. I do care about my wife or my daughter. And I think that's the argument that will win the day for us in the end. Absolutely, Matt. We've got, we've got 15 minutes probably left with you, Dave. So we're going to just run through. I've got some Facebook. I just quickly put on Facebook because we did have some issues earlier with the call-ins. So I've told people on the Facebook to jump on Facebook. Now, some very interesting ones here. Let's go to uh, John. First off, he said he's a huge fan, David. So there you go. And he says, can you ask David? This is a very interesting one I saw today, actually. Can you ask David about his thoughts on the Guardian's newspaper suggesting his advocacy for David Waters got him sacked? Very interesting question. So David Waters was is a very high high standard uh, target shooter. Uh, doesn't shoot in any of the um, Olympic disciplines, so you won't have heard of him. But he is a very high standard shooter. Uh, a woman brought her rifle to his work, and, and he didn't know she was bringing it to show him and ask his opinion about fitting. I think it was a bipod. I think from memory. Um, he didn't know she was bringing it. They met in the underground car park at, at his office. Um, she took the rifle out of the car. He said, oh, I didn't realise you're bringing the rifle. Perhaps you better put it back in the car. Somebody walking past saw the rifle, called the police. About 16 police turned up. They, uh, they searched his car, searched the woman's car, didn't prosecute him at all, didn't get charged or anything, and yet his company, which is Goodyear, sacked him. So I found out about that uh, some couple of months later and he said uh, I've got to have a he'd been, he'd been overseas and come back it was actually a month or so six weeks later he said there's a disciplinary hearing that I have to attend and I'm allowed to have a support person you know would you uh, come as my support person so I said sure I'm happy to come along that disciplinary hearing was an absolute farce it was a kangaroo court of the worst kind so I called them out on it uh, a number of times they were making these ridiculous assertions wouldn't accept the fact that David had nothing to do with the rifle being brought in. By the rifle, by the way, the rifle was a target rifle, no bolt in it, no magazine in it, basically just a steel tube, totally harmless the entire time. Anyway, so they fired him on the spot. So he took the company Goodyear to the Fair Work Commission. The Fair Work Commission is a another kangaroo court, a rather stupid organisation, and decided that uh, because he had had me advocating on his behalf in his as his support person therefore he was it was legitimate to dismiss him now it's just adding insult to injury he had no control over the rifle coming into the car park in the first place and then someone comes along to help him in, in other words me and again he gets blamed for that i mean how, how bad can it get the um, the outcome of it is it of it all is though that uh, we intend to advise shooters in Australia and America and Canada and anywhere else that we can think of what um, an outrageous treatment of David the, the Goodyear has inflicted on him and all shooters buy tyres for their cars so we're, we're suggesting is consider whether or not you really should buy Goodyear or Dunlop or Bow Repair tyres they're the three brands that, uh, that Goodyear has. And um, if you want to let Goodyear know that you don't approve of them, don't spend any money with them and uh, drop them a message to say why you're not going to.
Yep. Uh, I've got a good one here from uh, Dan Rocks. He says uh, he tried to call up before, I think, too. Uh, Airsoft is getting a rough deal in all states. Obviously, it's not legal in Australia. Uh, police are handballing it uh, to national. Then it gets sent back to the police. Uh, is it a state issue? But they look at the NFA for guidance. And then he goes, if not that, many Airsoft supporters are getting mixed messages from their state police. Can the senator assist in getting Airsoft nationally recognised as a legitimate form of sport shooting discipline in regards to skirmish and action air, IPSC-type disciplines? Now, it's interesting, David, that I can own a 308, uh, 338 Lapua Magnum, no doubt, in some states, etc. Why can't I shoot little plastic balls at people very, very similar to um, paintball? It's a very legitimate grievance, and I'm, I'm, I am well aware of this issue. We have made some inquiries about what, what could be done. We haven't yet figured out the, the point at which to push, whether we can push at the federal level or, or take it out of the federal level so that the push can come from the state level. We're still exploring that. The same thing applies to paintball in some respects. It's also treated as, uh, as using dangerous guns when obviously it's not. And uh, so we're talking to the paintball organisations as well as uh, as well as Airsoft. Um, it is on my agenda. I haven't been able to do anything constructive other than make inquiries and and make a few behind the scene have a few behind the scenes discussions. One of my staff is particularly hot on this issue, and uh, and uh, we it is our intention, assuming I'm back in the Senate uh, after the election. Uh, to pursue it, but but so far you know, we've not really made any practical progress. David, got an interesting question uh, here from Cameron Barnes. Now you've probably seen recently, you know, David Shoebridge has published a lot of stuff in um, the media about how many you know guns are in your neighbourhood. <laughs> Cameron has a bit of a funny one. He says, "Can anything be done to stop sh- the Shoebridge lies?" <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, in practical terms, the best thing to do, of course, is uh, vote him out. Don't don't vote for him. Don't uh, <laughs> that anyone that you know of that votes for him. Just on that subject, um, he actually takes a great deal of pleasure in poking the firearms community. Um, he loves it when he gets uh, pushback from shooters and uh, and all the uh, uh, name calling and the vitriol and so forth. The, the, probably the best thing to do uh, would be to ignore him. Uh, he would suffer from relevance deprivation and then probably find something else to do. But um, but responding to him, engaging in with him um, in debate. Uh, doesn't really do anything. The only, if you wanted to engage with uh, with what he says, it would be to remember the people who are listening to him, hearing him. If they possibly haven't made up their mind, if he can say anything that will actually steer them away from his point of view, that's fine. But going directly after Shoebridge um, and uh, and having a fight with him is uh, an absolute waste of effort. I know. I uh, I gave up on him a long time ago. I think he, which I take a bit of a badge of honour, David. He uh, banned me from his page, so and I can only see and share his stuff. And I was like, well, I'm not really going to share your stuff if I can't comment. I'm not going to share it anywhere. So exactly, yeah. makes it. What's coming up, David? For the uh, we've got a couple of minutes left uh, for the LDP. What's the plan coming up for the future? What do you want to see happen? Obviously, just in regards to the party itself, but also under this NFA agreement. You know, we all like hunting. We all like a bit of shooting. We all like different things. And I think we all need to support each other because if we don't, you know, we're going to be back like we were in 1996 where, you know, people were selling out, you know, rifle shooters were selling out pistol shooters and shotgunners, et cetera, and, and pig doggers, et cetera. What's the plan coming up for the future? 
as far as my involvement in it all is concerned, it, it all depends on getting re-elected, assuming there is a double dissolution. Um, if there's no double dissolution, then of course I'll be in the Senate there for another three or four years. So it is absolutely my intention to make sure that uh, um, the rights of shooters are protected as much as I, I can do that from, from federal parliament. And we are on the verge of, of uh, signing a lease for Malabar, giving permanent tenure to shooters in, in yep. Sydney. Uh, so that's, that's And that was one of my questions, David, but I accidentally that's, missed it out. <laughs> that's all right. No problem. That's, uh, that's a real um, uh, benefit to shooters. There's thousands and thousands of shooters in the Sydney Basin who use Malabar, and they have been on the verge of being thrown out now for a decade. Um, and uh, once this new lease is signed, um, they they can't be thrown out. The only way they can be they can be uh, asked to leave is if they've got somewhere else to go, which the government will pay for. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful uh, situation to be in. It will give them security of tenure and uh, confidence that they can look to the future with the, the for the shooters that shoot on Malabar. That's important. National Firearms Agreement review we discussed. I. I my feeling is that we always have to be on our guard, but I don't think there's anything uh, just you know immediately around the corner coming up. Um, uh, for the Liberal Democratic Party, we are in absolute campaign mode at the moment. We are fundraising as hard as we can go. Yep. Um, anyone who thinks that we're doing a good job and they need us there, donate five, ten, fifty bucks, a hundred dollars, whatever you can spare. Now's the time we need the money. And, of course, uh, spread the word. Um, we need a uh, minimum of 3.5% of the vote. 5.5% would make us feel very comfortable. And, of course, repeat 9.5% from the last election would be absolutely wonderful. That would be really awesome. Absolutely. Mate, sounds great. Mate, tell the listeners, I guess, they want to know, they want to live off your achievements in the fact that they, they might vote for you at the 2016 federal election. So, one, I guess, what have the achievements of the LDP been in regards to firearms? And supplement that question is, why should they vote for the Liberal Democrats? Well, in, in relation to firearms, I suppose the two things is um, I, I was um, key, not the only person, but key in heading off the review of the National Firearms Agreement, which would have been bad for shooters. Um, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have had a permanent lease on Malabar if I hadn't been there. And, of course, the seven-shot adlet, it doesn't affect very many people, but the expiry on the ban on importations of seven-shot adlets would not have occurred if I hadn't been there. I've been working on lots of other issues besides firearms, of yep. course, yep. and uh, so I, I got involved in the... Um, the wind turbines issue, the Murray-Darling Basin, levy, agricultural levies, um, Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act, um, medical marijuana, um, immigration issues. There's been a whole lot of other issues that I have, uh, I have worked on and, uh, you know, I think uh, pushed things in the right direction. But as I said right at the beginning of this, I've only been in there a little bit less than two years. It's not a long time. And uh, I would like to think that uh, I can at least do a full six-year term. Yeah. Well, you've certainly been doing good, I think, in regards to, you know, you've written, I mean, 
and this is probably was very rare before you came along. I mean, you're getting articles in the Australian Financial Review, uh, all types of you know, major media outlets allowing you to write up stories and actually, you know, posting them. So I, I think that's actually really positive because, I mean, you know, not that, that hasn't happened really in the past with our, you know, it doesn't matter which pro-gun party it is or was, we were not getting a good run in the media. But I don't know, I'm just feeling you seem to have a respect amongst the media because you're not just in regards to firearms. And, I mean, these some of these publications, are large publications and giving you access to put your story and actually publishing it, which I just, it's really mind boggling, but fantastic to say the least. Well, the libertarian voice has not been heard really in Australia. There's been people who've sort of been halfway there and but inconsistent. What, what makes me different from uh, everybody else is that I am totally consistent. I don't have any exceptions. I am libertarian on every issue. Um, I, my, my philosophy is that the government usually doesn't help and the government is there to prevent other people getting hurt. But uh, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, it really has no role. And, and uh, that, that philosophy, if applied consistently, um, reflects what the LDP is doing. But because it's, it's never been applied consistently, really, in Australian politics, that's why the media thinks that uh, I'm different and uh, they give me a reasonable amount of space. I am fortunate in being able to write um, coherently. I have a number of staff who also write quite well and uh, so we are able to get our message out there and it, it uh, falls on uh, a certain amount of fertile ground. Yep. Last one, Dave, very quick one, just more your thoughts on it. I noticed you're on 3AW, I think it was the other day, talking about a myriad of different issues, obviously firearms towards the end. Now, I'm pretty sure you said, which I thought was fantastic, finally someone has actually said this, that victims of crime are not experts in gun technology, which I think is fantastic. And, I, I, and me personally, I don't think people uh, that are victims of gun crime, whether that's Port Arthur or whether that's a general a general shooting have the right to change laws in this country in regards to firearms because you're a victim of a shooting what's your thoughts on that yeah, this is a, a common problem i'm dealing with um that the a victim of something is has is given special status particularly by the media um in re, in relation to how to deal with it so we have uh, doctors for example who treat people who whose heads get busted open because they get drunk and get in fights, then telling us how to control alcohol and, you know, supporting lockouts in Sydney and uh, Brisbane, for example, and saying, well, look, you know, uh, because we deal, with, uh, we deal with people when they get injured, therefore that makes us an expert at how they get injured and what the public policy should be to prevent that. It's the equivalent of uh, my motorbike mechanic saying what hours of the day I should ride my motorbike because he fixes my motorbike up if I have a crash with it. It's a ridiculous argument and it's no different from the argument that's used by those who've been shot by a firearm um, saying, well, because I've been shot by a firearm, therefore I am an expert at firearm control. They are no more qualified than anybody else and, and their views should be respected as anybody else's views are respected they should absolutely not be given any special status. David Leinhold represents, he's a senator for New South Wales and represents the Liberal Democrats. Uh, David, I really do appreciate your time again. We had your episode 45, so glad to have you on again and hopefully we can have you on again sometime in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.